Deuteronomy chapter 9. This is Moses speaking to uh, the people of Israel. And he says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. A people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, Who can stand? Before the sons of Anak. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, where it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. 
Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. For 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Teberah also, and at Masser, and at Kibroth Hatavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Bernir, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them out into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power, and by your outstretched arm. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, yes, it's a blessing to be to be here with you today. Well, um, yes, this book of uh, Deuteronomy. It's interesting that Deuteronomy is really it's a collection of uh, addresses, really, which were given by Moses to the people of Israel in the final months of his life before he died. And uh, it's interesting with this phrase, Hero Israel, at the start of chapter 9, it's quite possible that this is the, the start of another address that Moses gave to them, um, perhaps on a, a, the next Sabbath day from the one previously, as he was just in the final months of his life, speaking to and encouraging the uh, children of Israel. Now, the first few verses of this chapter really kind of set the course. It lays out the theme for what this chapter is going to deal with and talk about. Notice what's being laid out. Moses tells the people uh, in verse 1 that they're going to go to the promised land. They're going um, to enter into that which was promised them. They're going to receive the gold of their salvation, which was being delivered from Egypt. They got out of Egypt, but the goal of that was to settle in the promised land. But he lays the groundwork as well, saying here in verses 1 and 2 that doing this is something that, humanly speaking, is going to be impossible for you to do in your own strength and resources. To get that goal of you being saved is impossible because the land is full of greater nations, of fortified cities, and of great tall people, the Anakim, who are giants. You could not conquer them in your own strength. The Anakim, 
we were, were huge giants. But essentially what he's saying here is there's a battle. A battle which is in a way beyond you. It's not just something you can do in your own, uh, with your own human ability and strength. But it will happen. You will go in. You will possess the land. It will come about. And it will be won. Why? Because the Lord your God, he says, will go in before you. And he will do so as a consuming fire. So this kind of sets the course in verses 1 to 3. It lays out the theme of his address, which is the advancing of the kingdom of God and fulfilling the promises of salvation for God's people over and against a mighty evil that's too big for you to conquer, that's beyond your natural ability to conquer. But it can be. Through God's power. Now that's the theme. That's the course of the chapter. It's kind of fulfilling the promises of salvation for God's people. And having laid out that theme in verses 1 to 3. We then have in the next few verses. In verses 4 to 6. We have the kind of core teaching. There's some important kind of what we call doctrine or theology here. About all this. How God fulfills the promises of salvation. And that's in verses 4 to 6. And these verses 4 to 6 of this chapter are crucial verses because we read. And then after that, after Moses says that, we then get the outworking of that. He kind of proves it through the story that he tells them, the history, the, the, the application and proof of that in their own lives for the whole rest of the chapter. And we'll see how that works out. So let's concentrate really on the kind of core teaching and doctrine that's in this chapter, which is in verses 4 to sing six. If you would really, if we would really understand how God's kingdom advances the people of God and salvation. Well, this core doctrine here has three main points. Let's try and hold these in our mind. The first point we'll read at the end of verse four, where God says, He says, It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out. Here's the first principle of doctrine. That when the Lord brings judgment upon any persons or beings, he does so because of their own wickedness and sin. See, if God's wrath or God's judgment falls upon anyone, it's because of their own sin, their wickedness, and their own alignment with that which is spiritually evil. It states it again to make it doubly clear in verse 5 as well. He says, because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. See, the Lord does not judge or bring his wrath or punishment on people just arbitrarily or on those who are innocent. You know, people think, people sometimes have a problem with a God of judgment, but he, he, he never does that. He doesn't judge people who are innocent. Nobody receives judgment or punishment from the Lord God who doesn't deserve it. God is totally righteous. And he will destroy and he will wipe out and drive out only that which is wicked and evil. And we talk about any talk about judgment and hell and all that. The Lord will not send anyone to hell who is not sinful and wicked. That's the first important doctrine. It says it clearly. The second one, the second important point, we read in verse 5. At the beginning of verse 5, it says, It is not because 
of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going in to possess the land. Now here's the second principle. See that those who are saved, those who enter into the blessings of God's kingdom, they do not do so because of their own righteousness. You know, God's people, the people of his kingdom, are not saved by him because of any righteousness or uprightness in them. I mean, Hugh was going on a bit about that before in the children's talk. You know, we're not chosen because of we're good or right or better. You see, God's people, the people of his kingdom, if anyone is saved by God, it's not because of any righteous things that you have done. Or any rightness in your heart. And to make this doctrine doubly clear. He says it again in verse 6. He says therefore understand. That the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess. Because of your righteousness. It's as if kind of Moses is saying look. You've really got to get this. You know you've really got to get it. It's fundamental. Yes people are destroyed justly because of their own wickedness. But that doesn't mean to say that that people are saved because of their righteousness. Yes we're judged because of wickedness. But you're not saved because of righteousness. Don't think that you're saved because you're okay. You are right and you're better in and of yourselves. Because actually you're not. You notice what he ends verse 6 with. He says, not because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. You know, those who were saved were still in their own selves, stubborn, proud sinners. God's people are not saved by their own righteousness or works or rightness of their own heart. It's not to do with anything in them, in you or me. That's the second Important doctrine, he says here, Moses tells the people. But then thirdly, we might ask, well, then how how come some people are saved? How come the kingdom of God advances? Well, it tells us, and it outlines that at the end of verse 5. It says that he may confirm the word which the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the reason why they were going in was that the Lord might confirm that word he had promised and sworn to their fathers. You see, the reason why anybody is saved by God at all is because the Lord God himself has made a promise, an oath. He swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He swore to them that he would bless and he would save a people. But this was completely by and totally by God's promise of grace. God said, I will do it. And he made a covenant and he swore to them by his own name and his own self that he would save and bless a people. God announced and he revealed that he had a purpose. God had a plan to make a people, to save a people, to establish them forever in his kingdom. And this salvation plan would happen because God said he would. God promised it. And and he promised it through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through one of Abraham's descendants. God would make for himself a chosen people. And who were that descendant of Abraham? 
that he promised and was fulfilled was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was that descendant. He was the one, he was the subject of that promise that was sworn to Abraham. He, God would save them by grace alone. And Abraham received that promise by faith alone. He believed it. And this is it. It's solely by God's grace and promise that any person would be saved. And that's what they have. That's the third doctrine here. So he's laid out these theological things so clearly here. These are fundamental. That salvation is by God's power alone and election is by grace alone. Not at all by any rightness or works in anyone. And that judgment is because of people's own sin and wickedness. Salvation is by God's grace. Judgment comes because of our works. Judgment is all to do with what's in us. Salvation is not at all because of us, but it's to do with the gracious promise of God. And these things are so clearly stated and repeated here in these verses, four to six, because the fact is we so often don't get it. Moses repeats this to make it doubly clear and hammer this home. These are gospel fundamentals of salvation here that we simply must get. We must believe and understand if we would truly know the reality of God and his salvation. And I ask, do you and I see this today again? Do we appreciate it again this morning? I hope you and I do. But to help us further... These fundamental doctrinal things, as it were, then they're more fully explained and developed. They're applied, they're illustrated by what's in the rest of the chapter. So let's just think how how Moses does that then as he tells them. Because the Bible story and history teaches us and shows us these truths through what happens in the history as the purposes are worked out. And hopefully it will reinforce and confirm them to us. Let's try and bring the points out and see how they're explained as best I can. So I've already stated that the doctrine that people who are saved and enter into God's kingdom blessings, they do so not because of their righteousness. But actually, even those who were stubborn, rebellious sinners get in. Now, this is proven by what Moses says in the following verses. For example, he says that their own rebelliousness was shown by how quickly they turned aside from the commandments of the Lord. He says in verse 8 that the disobedience, he says, began even in Horeb. Now, Horeb was the plains, the, the, the valley that was below Mount Sinai. So it was at the very time and the place where the law and the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments had just been given from Mount Sinai, and they were all there in the Horeb Valley. And Moses recalls here in verses 8 to 17 of this chapter, he recalls what happened. He gives a brief summary um, and, and we can read that also in the book of Exodus. You can read it more fully there. That even when the Lord had just given the Ten Commandments, one of which was what? It was do not make for yourself an image, an idol, and worship it. And even during that period of 40 days, when the law was being given, and right there in front of the mountain, the Israelites actually made a golden calf an image, an idol, and were worshipping that. And Moses came down with the mountain, with the tablets of stone, with the commandments, and he found them having 
quickly and grossly disobey. In verse 12, he says, they have quickly turned aside from the way that I have commanded them, says God. In verse 16, he says the same thing. They did it quickly. It didn't take long. In fact, hardly any time at all for them to do this, which indicates how sinful and corrupt was their heart and how unrighteous they actually were. But then he shows their rebelliousness and their sin, their unrighteousness, by saying this this being quick to go astray was not actually a one-off either. But they were repeatedly and consistently rebelling against the Lord. He says this in verse, for example, uh, in, in verse 7, he says that from the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt until you've come to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. So Moses was here talking about a period of some 40 years. He'd been with them all that time. And he sums it up by saying, basically, you've been rebellious consistently all the way through the last 40 years. He mentions later on, doesn't he, in the chapter, verses 22 and 23, he says, at Tibera and Massa and Kibroth Atava, all those places you provoke the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you didn't believe him or obey his voice. So he recalls and he names various occasions and places. Uh, For the details, you can read them, for example, in the book of Numbers. But he shows how consistently rebellious they were. In fact, Moses sums it all up. By saying bluntly in verse 24, he says, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Which is quite a long time. So therefore, in no way could it be said that they were an upright and a righteous and a good and a deserving people. And that was, no way could they say that they were, they were being saved by God and God was saving them and bringing them into the land because they were, they were a good people. No way. It was nothing at all due to their own works and righteousness and good heart. In fact, they were quite the contrary. They had nothing to boast of. But then is this not also true of us, of you and I? You know, when we, when we really look honestly at the evidence, when we look at the history of our own lives and our own hearts and minds, is this not true of us? Continually and consistently throughout life we have sinned and we've done things against the Lord. And how quick we have been, how quick we've been at times to fall. I mean, no sooner have we heard a sermon or read our Bible or or even preached a sermon and then quickly after we go astray and we sin against something that God's word has just told us. And we are repeat offenders. And time after time we fail and we fall short and we make a bad choice and we sin and we go astray. Okay, what was true of them can be true of us. But then we've also stated the second doctrine, the doctrine that when God brings wrath and judgment upon anyone, it's because of their sin and his righteous judgment and anger against sin. Now that again is explained and illustrated in the uh, points in the verses that follow from verses verse 6 onwards. 
Actually, Moses even uses the Israelites themselves as an illustration of this. Notice how he begins it by saying in verse 7, Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness by being rebellious against the Lord. You see, it wasn't that the Lord God was kind of just randomly deciding kind of to exercise wrath and be angry. No. Rather, it says the Lord was provoked to wrath. Do you notice that? By their own rebellion and sin. It says the same in verse 8. It says, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. You see, it was not that the Lord suddenly decided that he wasn't feeling nice that day and he wanted to be angry for the sake of it in some kind of capricious or malicious way. No, the people themselves had sinned and rebelled. They had corrupted themselves. And later on, for example, verse 13, it says, the Lord had seen how they were truly indeed a stubborn people. And the the Lord God is pure and righteous. He cannot simply pass over and ignore corruption and sin. And what the people did there, even at Horeb, was an extreme disobedience, wasn't it? It was an affront. It was flying in the face of all that the Lord had commanded. The Lord who'd brought them out of Egypt and saved them. That's why Moses had thrown down the two tablets of stone. When he came down the mountain, with the, he threw down the two tablets with the Ten Commandments of. He threw them down in front of the people, he says, verse 17. Why? To show them that they'd effectively smashed up and broken the covenant as soon as it was actually made. And the Lord's anger was against the people for their corruption and sin. And it was completely righteous and just. And God's anger and judgment was impartial too. Because even, it says, the Lord was angry even to destroy Aaron, it says, verse 20. Now, Aaron was Moses' elder brother. But, but Aaron had in also in some way gone along with the rebellion and the idolatry as well. And the Lord's anger was righteously, justly against anyone who had sinned. It didn't matter who it was. God was no respecter of persons. He was no, there was no favoritism in this. But he was impartial because of their sin. And it didn't come randomly. It didn't come arbitrarily. The fact is that if the Lord did destroy and bring judgment, it was all absolutely righteous and just because of the sin and the wickedness in those who were judged. We see it summed up in verse, verse 18. It says, Because of all the sin which you had committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And what really is the consequence of sin and wickedness and God's anger and judgment against it is explained. It's illustrated in what happened to the symbol of their sin. Notice this. It says, namely, the the, the symbol of their sin, the sinful thing, was the golden calf they'd made. It says in verse 21, the sinful thing, or literally their sin, the calf which you had made, was burned with fire and crushed. It was ground up very small. As fine as dust, as dust is thrown into the brook. It was completely decimated and destroyed and scattered. For that is what the Lord will do to all sin. Ultimately, he 
He, the Lord, must come against it. Sin and wickedness must be dealt with. He must completely deal with it decisively, and he will do. But such wrath, it came against the sin, against that which offended and provoked him to wrath. Okay, so we've had the thing about you're not saved unless uh, because you're righteous, because they weren't. We've had the thing about God only punishes that which is unrighteous. But we also stated the doctrine that if anyone at all is saved, it'll only ever be due to the pure grace and mercy of God. And this is also powerfully illustrated and explained here in the chapter as well. You see, because by the time we come down to verse 17 of the chapter, it's made very clear that the Lord himself righteously, he was under no obligation at all to deliver, to save, or to help any of those people. In fact, they deserve only his wrath to be destroyed. However, they are not destroyed. Moses tells of how he fell down before the Lord. He fell prostrate before the Lord in verse 18. He tells of how he, he, he prostrated himself before the Lord again in verse 25. And he kept on doing so because the Lord said he would righteously destroy you for your sin. And then prostrating himself, Moses pleads that they are not destroyed. Now how can, how can he plead that way? On what basis might the people not be destroyed? Well, in the final verses, 26 to 29, he lays it out. He speaks in verse 26 about the fact that the the people could and only ever could have been brought so far by the Lord's redeeming and purchasing of his own people by God's own mighty power and greatness. It was impossible for it to be any other way that the people could have got so far. The people themselves could no way have done it. And then we also read in verse 27 how Moses pleads along the lines of remembering Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers to whom the Lord had given the pure promise of grace to save a people. This is further spoken about as Moses pleads in verse 28. He talks about the land which the Lord had promised them. He refers to the promise and the grace of the Lord God and how the Lord, beginning a work, making a promise, how the Lord cannot go back on his promise in his loving nature. He cannot do anything but unconditionally love them if they are to be his saved people. He mentioned also in his pleading that the Lord's people are a people saved by power and by his grace and love alone. All that's laid out there in those final verses. And friends, also, this very fact that Moses, think about Moses, this picture it now. Moses is found there. He's fasting, he's praying, he's pleading on behalf of the people. It's a great picture of the fact that we as sinners, we require the fact, we require the need and the work of a mediator. Someone who will plead. Someone who will intercede. Someone who will bring about the triumph of God's grace that we might be saved. Grace must triumph over judgment. Triumphing and prevailing over sin and judgment. That the Lord might, as it says in verse 27, not look upon their wickedness and their sin. 
In this, Moses here, as he's pleading for the people, is a powerful picture to us of the Lord Jesus, our mediator, our savior, our high priest, who intercedes for us. He brings about the triumph of mercy and grace and God's power that the Lord's people might be saved. Another great pointer to this fact is seen in the fact that the people, the people are not destroyed, are they? Because something else is destroyed. And that is, I took your sin, literally, the calf, which was taken as a token, an epitome of their sin. That calf was made to be sin for the people and it received the just judgment of their sin. And even this, in a way, is a picture of, of, in, of the way in which the Lord would avert the judgment on his people by bringing it upon something else made sin for them. And friends, as it tells us, what it tells us even in this, this is a picture that Jesus Christ, even in that he fulfills it. That Jesus was made to be sin for us. He received the penalty, the judgment of sin. He was crushed that we might not be. And friends, coming to the end of this chapter, the very fact that this people even survived at all and weren't wiped out is all due to the Lord's mercy and grace. That oath that he promised to save a people by his grace, unconditionally loved, redeemed and brought into his kingdom and it's because of the lord's mercies that we are not consumed as it says in lamentations 3 salvation is purely due, due to the grace and mercy of god nothing it's nothing at all to do with our own righteousness or works or anything we deserve and that really and all that really would be right and just if we were to stand alone before God in our own natural state, is for us to be subject to the righteous judgment of God. But God and his grace triumphs for his people. That's, now that's the, that's the teaching of the Old Testament. It's the teaching of the New Testament. It's the same truth. It's the same truth we see fulfilled in the gospel, in the New Testament as well. It's only because the Lord goes before us that we can enter the kingdom of God. Only in his power and grace is anyone saved. It's, it's, a, it's a huge battle. There's giants that you, you can't face. But it's not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land. That you get the goal of salvation. But that God may fulfill the word that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that was the promised salvation through the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, Christ, the Savior, who would come. And I ask you this morning, is this you? Do you see this? Do you see your need? You know, you think, oh, well, maybe I've got to just reform myself a bit and get a bit better and I'll be enough to, to get me to salvation. No, God says, you've got to see that we, we, are, we are not righteous in any way but that God has made a promise. And I need to see him and thank him for that promise and plead that promise that he will be gracious through the one promise, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And that can be yours. As you were saying before,
If you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Lord's people. Or as it says in the New Testament in Titus 3, I'll close with this verse. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Amen. And there we're going.